And uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us for this conference, this opening session of our conference here. Uh, my name is uh, Michael Willis. I'm the director of the Middle East Centre uh, here at St Anthony's College uh, at Oxford University. Uh, I'm also one of the principal uh, organisers uh, of this conference. Um, I'm very pleased to welcome you to this conference, the Tunisian Revolution, Origins, Cause, Causes and Aftermath. Now, as many of you know, St Anthony's College is the part of Oxford University that looks at the wider world. And over, over the space of a given year, you will find conferences and seminars um, on a whole range of countries from all points of the globe. Um, but to my knowledge, there has never been, certainly in the, in the ten years that I've been here, uh, a conference on the subject of a country we're talking about today, Tunisia. Um, and it has been an ambition of mine for, for many years uh, to host a conference here on Tunisia. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm particularly pleased uh, to have been able to do so uh, this weekend. Now, Tunisia is a country that I, I visited for the first time um, exactly 20 years ago this week uh, as a graduate student. Um, and it was a country that I returned to regularly at regular interview fields over the years um, as I attempted to follow uh, its internal politics as part of a, a wider comparative study I was doing of the, the Maghreb region. Um, now, despite the difficulties, uh, the frustrations, and I have to say, indeed, the hazards of trying to carry out uh, research in Tunisia, especially on contemporary politics in the 1990s and 2000s, uh, all of which had to be done largely covertly because of the authoritarian nature of the regime. Uh, I was always officially a tourist when I went into Tunisia to do research. Um, but despite all of this, uh, Tunisia was a country that I came to like very much, particularly as I began to get to know and develop links and friendships uh, with uh, Tunisians. Yet, as I studied Tunisia, and I, I, I tried to understand what was happening, there was always one thing that puzzled me. There was something that I always found difficult uh, to understand uh, about the politics. And the, it, was a, it was a puzzle, but I really came to debate and discuss regularly uh, in the um, seminars and uh, discussion groups and debates that we had in classes here at Oxford. And this, was, this particular puzzle came to be known in these seminars as the Tunisian paradox. Now, simply put, uh, this paradox uh, was always how could such a sophisticated, comparatively well-educated an open-minded population uh, put up with such an unsophisticated, thuggish and oppressive regime. And this was a puzzle that always uh, struck a lot of scholars that knew Tunisia and, and, and looked at the politics. Now, it was a paradox, of course, that came to be fully, finally resolved just over three years ago, uh, when a large part of the Tunisian population decided that it would indeed no longer put up uh, with tr its treatment by the regime uh, and rose up uh, against it. Students, lawyers, trade unionists, the unemployed and the rural and urban poor coming onto the streets to ultimately demand al-shab, yurid, iskat, al-nidam. The people demand the fall of the regime. 
I know a lot of Tunisian friends are saying, this is the phrase we gave to the rest of the world, and they're very proud of it, quite rightly. Uh, now, this remarkable development uh, rightly attracted the whole world's attention. Yet Tunisia's time in the spotlight was quite short-lived as the shock waves of its uprising began to be felt elsewhere in the Arab world in bigger and more high-profile states like Egypt, uh, Libya, and Syria. Perhaps predictably, the spotlight never really fully returned to Tunisia in the same way uh, uh, um, as the events in the other parts of the world held international attention, uh, especially and sadly as events began to take a more tragic and more violent and sadly more bloody turn. Perhaps more surprisingly, even academic attention seemed to uh, largely neglect Tunisia in favour of events in the other states in the Arab world. Indeed, if you were to read much of the now extensive academic literature and attended most of the many conferences that have been devoted to the theme of the Arab Spring, you will be forgiven for thinking that the Arab Spring actually began in Egypt. Uh, so scant has been the coverage of Tunisia. I've been to many conferences which talk about the origins of the Arab Spring with no mention of Tunisia whatsoever, which I always find rather strange. And I always try and correct it uh, when I, whenever I see it or hear it, <coughs> to the point that the colleagues of mine who work on Egypt get rather annoyed with me pointing this out. <laughs> this conference, therefore, in a small way, tries to, to, to uh, somehow rectify this, this relative neglect. Um, but I think I should stress that the experience of Tunisia is not just worth studying because it has been rather relatively ignored uh, in academia. But more importantly, I believe that it is a fascinating, crucial, and perhaps most importantly, still fundamentally hopeful and positive uh, story to tell. Since the departure of Ben Ali, I have visited Tunisia roughly every three or four uh, months and continue to be impressed, enthralled, and inspired by what has happened there, and it continues to happen there since 2011. Now, this is not, of course, to say that everything that has happened in the last three and a bit years has been either totally good or completely easy, or that even a part of the objectives and hopes of early 2011 uh, have been achieved so far. Uh, but the continuing transformation of Tunisia into a more pluralistic, inclusive, uh, vibrant and genuinely democratic country and society has been really quite remarkable. Most striking of all has been the comparative absence of violence and bloodshed uh, that has accompanied the whole process. Uh, quite a number of my Tunisian friends and colleagues think my optimism naive and unwarranted, but for me, Tunis the Tunisian experience contrasts so positively and so sadly with the tragic situation in most other parts of the Arab world, and also, and I think sometimes this is forgotten, the contrast with the drab, nasty police state that had prevailed just short, four short years ago. So this conference is not just about telling the story of the Tunisian revolution, uh, sorry, the Tunisia's experience, but seek, it also seeks to debate and understand uh, why what has happened has happened and continues to happen uh, and what lessons, broader lessons it, it can for us, particularly those of us who study the broader Middle Eastern region. Now, when planning this conference, um, we decided that we would try and invite, uh, and the other organisers, all the best and informed and most ex insightful experts on Tunisia in the expectation that perhaps about a half would, in the end, accept and come. 
Um, we were therefore surprised and delighted that virtually every single person uh, we wrote to invite to speak um, accepted to come, and even those who initially said they weren't able to come subsequently changed their arrangements and so that they would come. Uh, I would therefore really like to thank our speakers uh, for making the time and the effort, particularly those of you who have come from further abroad. Thank you very much for making this, uh, this uh, conference uh, with your, with your uh, participation. I, I want to particularly thank um, uh, our speakers who have travelled from Tunisia itself, uh, particularly those who have had to do battle with the shamefully complicated and unnecessarily long and intrusive UK visa application process. In fact, the organisers and most of the people here, when you say the word visa application process, we all begin to shake and, and look a bit, uh, a bit uh, 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 ill. So having to deal with such a ridiculously complicated uh, situation. And I therefore want to, um, want to apologise that you had to put up with this. And, and, and thank you for your patience and forbearance. And hope that next time you come here, Britain will have woken up to the fact that this country's visa and immigration rules and policies are really damaging international academic uh, cooperation. Uh, and, and, and end of sermon, but uh, that's my particular uh, take on that. It really is something that needs to be done something about. But thank you. We got virtually everybody through. And uh, thank you, even some at the last minute, some who are actually still on their way. One of our participants, Professor Gasumi, got his passport at 4 p.m. yesterday and is on a, I think he should, hopefully should be in the sky now, wending his way here. So we, we had some quite, quite run-ins, but thank you very much for all coming. I also want to thank our Tunisian participants for bringing a very welcome spell of Mediterranean sunshine to what was a rather cold and rainy and, and grim Oxford just about three days ago. Uh, and I see the good weather will coincide exactly with the conference. So thank you very much for bringing that with you. I want to finish just with a few, a few thank yous before, before we begin. Um, first of all, um, to our sponsors of this event, the, uh, the John Fell Fund here at Oxford University, uh, also the Middle East Centre here uh, at St Anthony's College, and, and especially the, uh, the British Council in Tunis, particularly Nigel Bellingham, the director, and Sana Ajmi, who not only assisted with funding, but also in the epic struggle for visas. Um, and a huge thank you also to the two people who have worked with me from the beginning uh, to organise this conference and have certainly done far more than I have to help bring it together. Uh, Ferdinand Eibel, who I'm sure you all know, is Ferdinand, Ferdinand, um, who has been, who has helped from the very outset and has been the technical mastermind uh, behind the running of a conference and whose organisational flair, good humour and particularly IT skills have been invaluable. I've learnt so much about <laughs> IT just in helping on this conference. Also, my colleague Mohamed Salah Omri, um, who agreed early on to be the convener um, of the conference, and whose hard work and generosity, particularly in securing speakers from Tunisia, um, has been crucial, and who I would like now to say a few words. Mohamed Salah. Um, I won't be long. It's basically, uh, I first <laughs> wanted to reciprocate by simply uh, thanking Mike, who really was uh, the engine behind this, and not, not least the, for providing the services of St. Anthony's, but also to actually raise the fund for this to happen. I won't go over uh, the lists he thanks, but I wanted to specifically mention uh, the uh, embassy, the Tunisian embassy in London. Uh, His Highness the Ambassador is with us today, uh, Nabil Ammar, 
and uh, Aida Toomey of the cultural side, and uh, Riyadh Dridi uh, of the consulate. And all of them have been really supportive of this and helpful, particularly in connecting us with the media uh, and spreading the word. Uh, so that's uh, due, due thanks to them. I also obviously uh, uh, wanted, I'm not going to go over any aspect of the uh, proceedings themselves, but uh, perhaps the title itself of the conference is very revealing of the kinds of approach we wanted to uh, look at. Um, the idea is there are a number of, a couple of narratives at least about the revolution in Tunisia, one of them that it was spontaneous and the other one it was jasmine. And as you can see for the title, we have neither spontaneous nor jasmine. We have the roots of jasmine maybe, <laughs> we have roots and so on. But so basically, that's the idea. It's also uh, uh, specifically a very multidisciplinary conference and hopefully interdisciplinary in terms of the discussion and the debate that happens. I wanted specifically also to thank the uh, large number of those who, are, who simply are coming here to attend, uh, to listen to us. And I have one regret that I wish I invited the very uh, dynamic minister of uh, tourism from Tunisia <laughs> to, the, to this conference because she would have loved to see how, many, how much tourism is going on here and she probably would have provided us with some tickets to go back there. Um, so without uh, further ado, I wanted to invite Mike back here to begin the proceedings of the conference with the very first panel.